0: Well, Chewy, old buddy, it's it's great to see you again. Nice to have my father's lightsaber back, too. I thought I'd lost this thing for good at Bespin. It was good of Ray to bring it back to me. And you, too, of course, Chewy. I don't suppose it happened to have a left hand clinging to it when you got it? Ah, I figured not. So, what's new in the galaxy? How's the Rebellion going? Oh, it's the Resistance now, huh? You know, I would have thought that since, uh, we won the war with the Empire and all that, we'd- we'd kind of be in power now. And so, you see, we wouldn't really be resisting anything, you know what I mean? Oh, you say the Empire is the First Order now. Really more of a Second or Third Order, isn't it, anyway? Uh, how's Leia? Well, people do get older, Chewie. Even women. I'm sure she's still beautiful and shouldn't have been replaced by a younger actress. And how's Han? How's Han? (coughs) Dead? How? (coughs) Kylo Ren? That son of a bitch. (coughs) Sorry, no offense to my sister. Man, that bastard has gone too far. I'm grabbing my lightsaber, hopping in my ship, and going to kick that guy's ass. No, seriously, Chewie. I'm gonna go all Yoda in Episode Two on his ass. Just one thing, I, I might have to swing by the Tashi station for some new power converters on the way there. The Tashi station went out of business five years ago. No.
1: In a world where the human race has nearly unlimited access. To all forms of media. Mankind faces its greatest enemy. I've come for a vengeance. A looming threat. Can you look at that? What is that? A paralyzing choice. You have eight choices chosen correctly. And I cannot be held responsible for your suffering. Is the next movie in my queue good? Or bad?
0: Hey, do you guys want to watch Geely?
1: A war that threatens our very existence. We have come to take over your world. And it will be fought over... Cows. <laughs> One podcast dares to make sense of it all, so you don't have to. This is the Sacred Cows Podcast. And now welcome your hosts.
0: Hey everybody, it's Pete. Hi, I'm Mike. Thanks, Thanks, Disembodied Disembodied Voice Guy. guy. Hey, Disembodied Voice Guy, I heard you were vacationing in Aruba. How was that? Oh,
1: it was killer. Ah, well that's good to hear, yeah. Yeah, I got a killer tan, caught some killer waves... Uh Uh-huh, sounds real nice. ...took a killer boat ride with a killer whale... Uh Uh-huh, I
0: see... ...and I spent some killer time
1: with the locals.
0: Uh, you can spare us the details about that
1: part. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I just drank a crap ton of some killer rum on a killer beach... ...and got so killer drunk, I don't even know what I got up to during those warm, warm killer Aruba nights
0: uh um well, okay, but I remember there
1: being a lot of blood huh
0: well uh, um so- sounds like you had a a a k- killer good time then you're goddamn right, i did
1: <laughs> um but uh no really, it was uh all about that killer tan
0: so, uh so how the hell? You can get a tan. I didn't even, <laughs> I don't know how that
2: works. He uh, just, Mm-mm-mm. welcome to the Sacred Cows podcast, the podcast where we talk about old movies 99.9% of the time, and sometimes we do roundtables about new ones. That's right. Uh, one
0: of the times we do that, certainly. <laughs> But we want to we want to keep a good thing rolling because I don't know about you, Mike, but after last week's Star Wars—not last week's, but last time Star Wars episode—I just want to keep going with the Star Wars thing. What about you?
2: I definitely had so many things I just wanted to talk about after that, both related to the the new movie and also just the Star Wars phenomenon—the movies, the games, the you know everything that's sort of permeated pop culture over the years. So this is another abnormal episode of Sacred Cause, although it's a little closer to what we usually do. And for those of you who are maybe tuning in the first or the second time, um, what we usually do on this show is we usually uh, talk about a single movie in depth uh, after having uh, rewatched it and, uh, you know, talk about history, some trivia, lots of humor, of course, and decide if it's ultimately sacred or if it should be put out to pasture.
0: That's right. That movie is typically, in fact, by the rules, 10 years or more older, has to be culturally significant or at least profitable, I suppose. And uh, it has to, well, doesn't have to have touched us both in some way, but uh, typically something with a little nostalgia factor behind it. Yes, at least one of us has to have watched it. But today's episode is about another science fiction
2: uh, epic, and that would be Star Wars. And, and some would argue that it's not even science fiction at all, since it's more space fantasy. Space fantasy,
0: and not to mention it's gotten so mainstream that it kind of seems like science fiction doesn't really fit the bill anymore. No. I mean, that kind of relegated to the uh, deep, dark nerd catacombs, and this is, this is right up there with basically any blockbuster movie ever, and you don't have to be ashamed of loving it. This is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, so they don't have to explain
2: anything. Exactly. So I, I think the best way to start this is that we're going to get any thoughts that we have about The Force Awakens out And then we're going to go back and talk about the uh, original trilogies and the rest of the phenomenon surrounding Star Wars. Does that sound good to you, Pete? For sure. And if you didn't hear our previous episode, which was a
0: roundtable discussion of The Force Awakens, Episode 7 of the Star Wars saga, I would definitely recommend listening to that one so long as you've actually been out and seen the movie. But if you call yourself a Star Wars fan, then you've seen the movie. At least twice.
2: So, Pete, have you seen the movie again since the last time we talked about uh, The Force Awakens?
0: I did. We used one of our rare babysitting occasions to uh, my wife and I go see the movie again, and I loved it, and my wife really loved it. So, that was a great uh, bonding experience there. Uh, What
2: about you, Mike? You see it again? Uh, Yeah, I saw it again. If you listened to the last episode, uh, you know that uh, we made a work function out of it, so... We all went and saw The Force Awakens in my department. Uh,
0: Damn. Only my department had done that. Uh, So, (laughs) great. So you've seen it three times. I've seen it twice. Uh, What did you think about your latest viewing, Mike?
2: Um, Well, you know, I did enjoy it the third time. I think I probably got the most out of it the second time because the second time is after, like, you know, I poured through the Internet and and saw those secrets and things like that. And I was like, oh, there's that and that and that. And, and the third time, I did see more things, but it, it was more chill because, you know, I'd seen it so often in the same small time span that it just m- made it so I kind of I knew what was coming and things. I did really like that I, I, I saw some things that uh, were too busy happening in other movies, like background characters and, and things like that uh, going on. And, you know, there was a, a pink um, R2 unit that I saw and I was like, Oh yeah, there was somebody talking about that. I, I don't exactly remember what was up with that. Um, some some fan thing or something like that for like a charity thing. Huh. But you know, all those kinds of things are are referenced in the movie. So yeah, that's what I saw. What about you, Pete? Well I know there was an incredible level of detail
0: that went into the yeah and thought certainly from JJ J. Abrams and, and his crew. I saw it, like I said, I saw it again uh, this time my wife got in on the act. I was excited to see it with her for her, I was excited for her because she was about to see Star Wars Episode Seven, the, Awak- the Force Awakens. I didn't really notice a whole lot extra the second time around that I saw it, which means that I was either totally perceptive during the first viewing or just extremely unperceptive uh, during the second viewing, or both, I suppose. But all I know is I loved it again. And my wife got super into it, and we've actually been digesting the prequels, the original trilogy, and some of the remaining expanded universe canon <laughs> and non-canon actually since then. So it kind of <laughs> it, it kind of kicked off a whole new. Like I considered, I pretty much considered my Star Wars fandom to be dormant since the prequels came out, uh, mostly because I was disgusted with them. But this totally reignited it and it even kind of passed the torch on so we're a family of fanboys now
2: i feel like this movie had it did make me go back i back and watch the prequels um i saw four through six before i saw force awakens the first time and then i saw the movie all three times before i went back and watched the prequels and it it sort of changed is changing my brain about that, and we'll talk about that later. For sure, it it certainly has a uh, you know reignited my love for Star Wars. I, I think with the prequels, it it ended up uh, that uh, you know Lord of the Rings sort of took over that spot for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree with that totally. I kind of made the switch from science fiction to just the fantasy thing at that point in time. Again, probably because I was so disappointed <laughs> with what with what had come out at that time but but before we move on from the force awakens i've noticed out there i wanted to say i may not have gushed quite as much as the other guests in our episode last time but i really really liked episode seven the new star wars movie i kind of feel like um that's not the consensus out there on the internet right now i mean i'm finding a lot of people who don't like it out there. It's it's kind of surprising. Have you encountered this at all, Mike?
2: Um. Well, I don't know. My my Twitter feed tends to be full of people who do like it, but I have heard them talking about a lot of uh, I don't know Star Wars backlash and you know the criticisms that uh, were there before. And we talked about it last episode. That uh, episode seven is sort of a rehash of episode four with the elements of of uh, five and six. You know, sort of inserted in strategic places but the internet seems to have went the same place that they went with James Cameron's avatar with this and I think I saw that movie when when you know back in the day when that was a uh, you know a, a big thing and you know it was I never thought it was a great film but I thought it wasn't worth um, all of the trash that it was getting um, you know no and, and people are allowed to be fans and things and I think it's part of just I don't know it's the it's that whole loud but minimal part of the internet that makes you think that everybody hates something or everybody loves something, even though it's just um, a bunch of voices that are sort of just echoing. Right. I get it. It's the
0: noisy minority. Right. Probably. <clears throat> but, you know, I also think that there is probably a certain uh, element of the fan base, the the people who consider themselves the star Wars purists who weren't going to be satisfied with anything. I mean, look, people were outraged by the prequels because they diverged from the Star Wars uh, you know, look and feel too much, and it didn't feel Star Wars-y. But then now you've got... They've like swung all the way back around, unless it's a completely different group of people who are being noisy this time around, saying well, yeah. that it's too close to the original source material, which... Uh, I don't know what, what what exactly they want where they where they want us to land with that.
2: One of the criticisms I've seen is like, you know, um basically the internet burned George Lucas down, you know, previously and, you know, uh we we poked some fun at him, you know, on this show before, but certainly you, you know, I don't think we were in that group that was like burning him to the ground, but um it's no, we were having a fun little burn at his expense. It's all right, good. exactly. But the, the internet basically used to just kind of revile him, and now I've seen sort of a, a turning of the tide, where it's like now on the other side, there's just a bunch of people that are putting him on a pedestal, and I I think it's coming from a place where like they probably really did love the um, prequel trilogy, and and they feel you know sort of burned that uh, some of the different kinds of ideas that. That George Lucas tried to present, um, just kind of got forgotten to in order to do this uh reboot that's does borrow a lot of elements from uh the previous um non prequel films. And and people
0: are probably feeling burned, like you said, about a lot of things that they considered core part of the Star Wars canon have now been dismissed uh by their new overlords. And right, the, the I, extended I understand universe how that can be hard is now just right, legend. the extended. The expanded universe, right, right. And, you know, some of us, <laughs> me, the guy with the 32 books or whatever I said last time, uh, you know, put a lot of time into, you know, grokking that stuff, and now it's gone. Now, <laughs> if I was 15 years younger, I might I might get very angry about that. But, but I digress. Uh, basically, yeah, it, it seems like, you know, it, it's happened with other properties as well there were the uh minority the loud minority when the lord of the rings movies like you mentioned earlier came out that hated them because they you know took some liberties with the source material which were the incredibly long and verbose books by J.R.R. tolkien that came out and those are great books they in my opinion wouldn't have made great movies uh they needed to take some liberties with those so there's always going to be the people who you know just don't want anything new,
2: basically. Right. I, I think people need to look at this as an opportunity. I mean, uh, they have a movie, a new Star Wars movie. It's made more money than any other movie basically ever now, um, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> including the original Star Wars movies. Um, and you've also got... So so what if, if Disney took the uh, expanded universe and sort of said, well, this is Legends now? I think the way that they're approaching it and and the way that I've seen you know people that are sort of uh, uh trying to have an open mind with it is like if if you consider obviously the things that are happening in the movies and the new like canon books that those that's the word those are the deeds that actually happened the legends is right. sort of like you telling stories on the you know to over a campfire so this is you know the the books about Han Solo are like Hey, did you hear about the time that Han Solo um, fought off those pirates on blah blah blah? It, ge- it gives them things to draw from for reality, so then they can sort of have these other books. Like they're never going to stop publishing, like the Thrawn Trilogy, for instance. Um, right. It's always going to be published under Legends label, but you know they could uh, you know borrow some ideas from that in the in for uh, another side movie or something like that. You know, as they expand like Han Solo's adventures uh, or, you know, all of the adventures. Um, And then they'd be like, well, these were conflated and confused with other myths, and then you get this. So it doesn't ruin the thing that you love just because it changed.
0: And, you know, now that you put it that way, I mean, to the new characters that were just introduced to us in Episode 7, the very idea of Han Solo was a legend until they found out that it was real. So who knows what's legend and what's fact? And does it really matter? (laughs) You know, they're all just stories. Right, exactly. So uh, anything else uh, we want to say about Episode 7, Mike? Uh, We talked a lot last time, uh, certainly, but you could probably talk forever
2: about this movie. I think I... I've said about everything I want to say. Um, there's so much more uh, being written just about like um, music and stuff now. I mean, that's the other thing that I w- would add is music has always been so important to the star Wars uh, saga and John Williams score for episode seven is a bit understated is what I've been reading, but uh, people that are, are looking at it, I've started tearing it apart and realizing that, um, no, it's not necessarily understated. It's just that uh, it's a lot more complex, and there's a lot more other musical styles um, being put into this to represent the characters being uh, different. You know, we've got uh, Ray, uh, there's a huge um, article in like a music journal I was reading uh, about like uh, taking apart the, Ray's theme and like how it includes elements of the Darth Vader theme, how it includes elements of Luke's theme. How it includes elements of the Anakin theme from the prequels, and it's like there's no way that this is not Luke Skywalker's daughter, you know?
0: <laughs> right. Well, when you look at it from that perspective, I guess you're getting some kind of like off-screen spoilers there.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, there, but there's all there's all sorts of like st- talk about the different studies on on the music and and things like that too, which. Uh, often has a clue to the, to the, to the movies. And also it's just good. I,
0: and you know, people have, have, I've heard the knocks against John Williams score and they've attributed it to his uh, health problems and that sort of thing. But I like the, you know, just because it's not all fanfares, like some of the older stuff. I mean, uh, you know, I just, I just recently, let's just say this, his, his uh, scores for the original film are fantastic. I just watched uh, a new hope and, every second of that movie is is populated by just fantastic music i have to say and i guess i don't really remember the the soundtrack too much from episode 7 but i like the the uh the idea that there was some complexity and some meaning behind that certainly
2: well and and he uses there's a lot of different musical styles like like you you didn't have any like um fugues and stuff like that but you know during the imperial era there was lots more like fanfares and obviously marches and and music right. of those styles. So he's sort of um you know playing with the idea that the time has have changed in right. this movie. And if you look at the original trilogy versus the prequels, there was also some of that there like uh a lot more like sweeping like aria style um music in in the prequel trilogy because uh, it's this republic that's sort of at war and stuff and they think things look good and they're not and yada yada, yada so Anyway, the Galaxy
0: sorry. was a different place. Right. Certainly. We kind of said this at the end of the last episode, but BB-8, he was great, and that's about all we said about him. Th- there's more to the BB-8 story. I mean, he was, a, he was a very cool little droid, and at first, I mean, he's one of the first things you see when this movie, you know, once the initial crawl and then the obligatory shot of a spaceship Uh, happens on the movie you basically see BB-8 and it's just like uh, me being the cynical guy that I am I was like okay here's the toy commercial starting already and I'm gonna hate this robot because he's gonna be a little mechanical Ewok but (laughs) he turns out to be very cool he's got an excellent little you know droid personalities is kind of a Star Wars thing and he's got an excellent little droid personality
2: yeah and i like the uh the the tools and things that he have like has uh uh, makes sense for the kind of robot he is you know he's got a little flamethrower uh you know which he uses as a thumbs up at one point that little flamethrower
0: when he's helping Finn uh (laughs) when he's helping Finn with the girl
2: right and he's got like a little stabilizer uh arms and things like that that help him stabilize himself on the falcon which you can imagine he would use for something else but He's clearly designed to be uh, a more rugged sort of uh, R2-D2 that can go out with, uh, say, Poe Dameron when he's going on a, a solo mission, you know, to a dangerous place.
0: Right. I'm just glad he didn't have rocket launchers like little surprise rocket launchers like R2D2 has had in the uh, in the prequel trilogies that he never used again. But no, he was a cool little droid um and I guess I heard I don't know where this information came from but I guess I heard he was he was based on the original uh design for R2D2 but they couldn't technically pull it off at the time.
2: Uh, that is That is what they said. It's um, from original sketches of what R2-D2 should look
0: like. This movie looked good because they relied heavily on practical effects, and I guess that's why that droid looked pretty decent, <laughs> honestly. Because even now in 2015, I mean, the parts of Episode 7 that are CG are very noticeably... I mean, it's not like you can get it to the point where you're like, is that CG? Is that not CG? You can pretty much still tell, you know, same as you could... Fifteen years ago, when these movies came out, uh, the the prequels, that is. Mm-hmm. So, and I it kind of felt like that was maybe the weakest part of the movie was some of the CG work uh, with the characters, not necessarily the effects, but the characters. The uh, what was her name, Maz? Uh, yeah, character or uh, the the big bad uh, the big bad evil Jedi was it oh, Snopes. Um, Snopes. Was it? it was Snopes. Okay, I was thinking. I was thinking the. The website felt it harkened back to the prequels a little bit, where it was like you know, too CG heavy, perhaps. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, Practical effects are always best, and that's basically what the Star Wars legacy was built on, anyway.
2: Practical effects and miniatures. Yep. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so I think with that, uh, let's bid adieu to episode seven The Force Awakens, and we shall enjoy seeing more material each and
0: every December, Disney, about Star Wars. Thank you. And we'll be right back to talk about the prequel and original trilogies. So, Mike, as I said, uh, the episode seven fervor has struck me, and what I immediately wanted to do was go back and rewatch
2: everything that had come before. you know what I mean, oh yeah, I I felt the same way enough for, uh, since I had already watched four through six, I decided it was time to watch the prequels.
0: Right, and you know, that wasn't originally my plan. I was like, oh, let's start with A New Hope, go to Empire, go to Return of the Jedi, and then we'll watch the prequels. But no, my my dear wife said, why don't we watch him in order, which I guess means one through six in some bizarre uh, universe or another. So George (laughs) Lucas's head, uh, yes. (laughs) <laughs> George Lucas's head uh, even though you know chronologically not so much but um so we went ahead and watched the prequel trilogy and uh gee you know what mike i don't think i'd really seen much of it since uh since I saw uh, Revenge of the Sith in the theaters on opening night in 2005, what about you?
2: Yeah, I think it was. I didn't see it opening night. Um, I remember seeing no Revenge fan. of the Sith twice. Didn't never saw it on opening night.
0: Right on, right on. Well, that was that was actually the only time I saw it. And at that point in time, I was like, yeah, I'm kind of ready to put this Star Wars thing down for a
2: while. I think the Phantom Menace. I was in my desperation to commit my convince myself that I, I liked it um, a ton. I think I saw it four times and then I saw attack of the clones just once. I remember like cuz thinking that was not good the f- after the first time, but I still bought them on DVD as you do because, you know, yay Star Wars. And then Yeah, right. And then I remember watching uh thinking that Revenge of the Sith was the best of them and and I watched that one twice. And then Huh. That was it. You're right. It, it was one of those things. I think when they came out with the 2004... Maybe, maybe 2006, yeah, it was before Revenge of the Sith. The DVD set there, I think I watched the original trilogy once there, and after that, yeah, I had put Star Wars to bed for uh, a long time.
0: Right, well, you mentioned trying to get into Phantom Menace, and certainly that's the one I've seen the most, and actually that was the only one I owned until very recently. I had Phantom Menace on VHS, and I didn't have either of the others. Um, but I did recently go and buy the uh, the Blu-ray set, which was a good purchase, I think. But I went ahead and rewatched the prequel trilogy one right after the other. You know, they've all been out for ten years now, and uh, uh, the strangest thing happened. I didn't really hate them anymore. I thought I would, but. Uh, but to be quite frank, it was it was kind of nice. It was a good viewing experience for me, and I actually appreciated watching two and three again for the first time since the theater.
2: Hmm. When I watched them, I again I loved um, four, five, six. I mean, there was no question. Like, yeah, oh, and I'm yeah, watching no off doubt. my t- my 2006 era uh, DVDs, which were were very clean. I don't know. I mean the the cleanup job probably isn't as good as the Blu-rays you've got, but um when I watched 1 2 and 3, um I think 3 probably holds up the best of them as far as like how the effects look and everything like that because of course it's not that old. Um they kind of no, got No, I mean it is 10 years old, but but yeah, I was surprised at how uh much more I appreciated what was what they were trying to do. Lucas was trying to do something that uh, he wasn't probably equipped to do by himself. I mean, the reason that four, five, six are really good. Well, four, he had like no budget um, and five and six, it was a collaboration between artists, you know? And I think what really needed to happen with one, two, and three is he probably needed that collaboration again. And, And there are moments of brilliance in these movies that if you can focus on those, you can put the bad stuff out of your brain. Although it is a lot harder with the Phantom Menace, to be honest, uh, to put Jar Jar out of your brain and in Attack of the Clones to put a lot of the Anakin, like angsty romance stuff out of your brain. But
0: yeah. um Yeah. You, you pretty much have to go into the movies with either version of Anakin telling yourself you you're not going to see any real Shakespeare performances. I mean, the acting is really not super great. I hate to say.
2: No, and but but if you look at like uh, I think and McGregor as uh Obi-Wan Kenobi was actually a wise choice. It was he did well. Um he pulled it off even if he doesn't look
0: like Alec Baldwin or not Alec Baldwin. Oh my god. Alec Guinness all that much.
2: Well, yeah, and I think some of the strongest scenes of the whole um, prequel trilogy are mostly in three and sort of the the buddy cop banter with uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin. You can tell that, you know, one's the master and one's not. But then, the, you know, they're, they're just kind of poking each other like people that are, you know, good friends.
0: Right. Yeah. You know, partners like like cops or whatever, like you said. Well, by that time he's a master himself. I'm, I'm fairly sure. At least according to the Clone Wars, which I have been digesting since. Oh also, right, yeah, he's no I've longer an, an, a Padwan.
2: He's the, he's an, he's a full Jedi. Yes, even in the second one, you can see hints of that. Although he's a bit more snotty in Episode Two.
0: You know, I'm pretty sure that uh, Hayden Christensen took an acting class between two and three at the behest of like everybody involved with the Star Wars project, because he really does shape up to be quite a bit better, you know, in his delivery in the third movie. And uh, I honestly, I hated the third movie when I saw it. I didn't hate it, but I thought it was just, you know, some CG garbage, you know, with no plot whatsoever. I really liked it this time around. I think I agree that it's probably the strongest
2: of the three at this point. To me, it feels like the culmination of what uh, George Lucas was trying to do, like, if you never saw the other two, one and two, you know, episode one and two, you could probably just watch three, read the opening crawl and be OK, you know, with with I'd understanding probably... how he got there to becoming Darth Vader. I mean, everything you well, need is there. We would have been spared the Jake Lloyd years for sure. That said, I mean, some of the strongest stuff in episode one is qui Gon Jinn. You know, and Obi-Wan yeah. and sort of that whole relationship. And if you really look at uh, episode one, is not as much of an Anakin movie. It's really about, like, Obi-Wan is the main character, and uh, Qui-Gon Jinn is sort of, like, teaching him how to be a teacher.
0: Yeah, that's true. And, you know, I remember thinking all throughout the time that the prequels were coming out that Qui-Gon was going to come back and do the whole Ghost Jedi thing, and I was so excited about that, and it never happened. I was so sad about that.
2: Well, I mean, they didn't mention it. He really
0: but... was a star character of the. They mentioned it at the, at the very end of the third movie, but I figured, you know, I mean, Obi Wan kept appearing throughout the entire original trilogy, all three movies. I figured it would be the same way with with good old Liam Neeson. Unfortunately, not so much. But then again, Jedis from the Old Republic apparently scarcely resemble, you know, the powers and whatnot that they had in the original trilogy. There were some major differences.
2: Part of it's the evolution of filmmaking as a special effects medium. And the other part of it is, uh, I don't know, just uh, story-wise, they can talk about the the Jedis in the era, era of the Rebellion as... Well, just Luke, and basically uh, Yoda's only teaching him things, and we don't see a lot.
0: No, I mean, they're, they're basically, the the idea is that the Jedi are no more, even though, as the legends now tell us, there were plenty of them. But uh, those can be taken with a grain of salt nowadays.
2: And there's a lot of uh, implication of off-screen powers that Luke never, like, uses in, like, Return of the Jedi.
0: Oh, jeez. Luke's doing the whole gamut in Return of the Jedi. I mean, we, we talk about that later, but he's, he's, he's got his powers they're they're at his command, basically.
2: So we're still talking about the prequels then, okay.
0: You know, the biggest elephant in the room with the prequels was that everybody hated them when they came out. Like, that that's what you remember about the prequels. They came out, everybody hated them, they said boo, and, like, you never heard from George Lucas again until he sold Star Wars to Disney, basically.
2: Another part of the prequels that really, <laughs> that people didn't understand, and maybe you get it now, is like, it's a more cerebral story than 4, 5, and 6. It is.
0: And you said George Lucas was trying to do something uh different than he had already done he was trying to tell a different story at that point in the evolution
2: right four five and six were about people and i think that's what you know that's what we're getting with seven is it's about the characters yeah the prequels are about the republic and and sort of like what went wrong so he was trying to tell a story about you know how a republic falls and how power corrupts and it's his silmarillion basically this is his textbook of of what
0: Star Wars is and then everything after that is people's stories.
2: Exactly. Exactly. It, and while, you know, the the execution, you know, was a bit lacking, um when you kind of uh put that hat on and say, "Oh, I I get it. You know, he was talking about democracy and uh how fragile it is and, you know, how the emperor is manipulating both sides at once to get them to go to war and no matter who loses, he wins." You know, all those things and and talking about that and you know, if you think about the political time climate at the time, right after the the nine eleven, for for two and three, you know, you got the Patriot Act and things like that. It,
0: it was very relevant, certainly.
2: He was doing Times. his best, but they they are flawed movies. But when you consider we're still talking about them versus I don't know other movies that came out at the time, that does say something. That's true.
0: Of course, they did have the Star Wars name behind well, them. Yes, I. I feel like the biggest sins of the prequel was not the storytelling or the effects or any of that. It was it it was the casting and the character choices. I think the biggest problem with the trilogy is that they managed somehow to miscast Anakin twice. I mean, Jake Lloyd was uh, pretty dull. He definitely had no acting chops, in my opinion. Uh, actor for anakin and then they somehow managed to get someone just as like terrible i don't know if they were like they said okay we have to get an equally untalented person to play him as a teenager and he got better as time went but it just episode two really kind of was like this is some bad acting here i have to say
2: yeah i i don't know i maybe i always had thought maybe that uh, george lucas was trying to take a a relatively unknown actor and, and just sort of uh, make him something. And, you know, kind of like what uh, the original trilogy did for Mark Hamill until he had his accident. And then he kind of ended up doing really well with the whole voice acting thing, you know, being in like everything under the sun. That's true. I, I just don't I don't feel like Hayden
0: Christensen faded away because he was typecast as a Jedi, though. I mean, it's oh, no, just, no, no. I I, they took a chance on somebody and I don't think it panned out.
2: Right. I Mark Hamill was a good actor before he was there and like the way that he played Luke in the first movie like he you know when they talked about it he wanted he played Luke as like the whiny farm boy. That was a, a, an acting choice, you know?
0: That was the character, right? Mhm. Well, Star Wars made a lot of actors lives miserable especially in the the 70s and 80s because you know ever everybody, everybody kind of got typecast. I mean, other than Harrison <laughs> Ford, I mean Carrie Fisher is Princess Leia. Mark Hamill is Luke Skywalker until recently. Alec Guinness said that he hated Star Wars because now all of a sudden everybody just knew him for being Obi-Wan and not his, you know, four decades of work before that. So it is (laughs) what it is. But uh, I don't think anybody really got typecast by the prequel Star Wars trilogy. I mean, the, the actors that you've still heard of, uh, Seem to do pretty well in their own right, uh, in in different realms. Basically, I'm thinking right, Natalie it, Portman, Liam ne- Liam Neeson was like the biggest blockbuster name like four or five years ago. <laughs> Nothing to do with science fiction. So
2: the downside and what people rightly criticize is the uh, acting, but a lot of that is going down to Lucas's directing style, and and people have said that, and that's where he does take a lot of uh, guff, and rightly so he'll take the flattest take sometimes too you know when he's you know doing multiple takes on a scene he'll take the flat one for who the hell knows what reason right only he knows it's different than than the uh ways that uh like the the uh, the original trilogy do it and the way that episode seven does it they definitely definitely uh do emotion well oh certainly I was I, I compare it, this is from the original
0: trilogy, but we watched Empire Strikes Back and that scene where Han and Leia are trapped in the corridor trying to fix something and they just keep moving closer and closer doing all this you know, lovey-dovey talk and stuff like that. And I pointed at the screen and I said, that right there has more chemistry than all of Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman in the entire prequel trilogy right there that scene where they're trapped together in the hallway.
2: Lucas didn't direct that. Yeah, that's why. Lucas didn't
0: direct yeah, episodes five and six, so that that uh is to your point.
2: But even then, I mean like he he definitely had there was emotional moments in Star Wars Episode Four, you know, the one first one he directed, well, the only one he directed of the original trilogy.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm kind of itching to talk about those now. Do we have anything else we want to say about the prequels other than my biggest personal sin is probably that I didn't hate Jar Jar as much as I probably should have. I thought he was maybe okay.
2: <laughs> I think, like I said, uh, they're not as bad as you think, and, you know, obviously... <laughs> um the jar jar character is designed for uh children you know so
0: (laughs) right i but i really wanted that theory that he was the big bad for the whole series to be true i really wanted it but (laughs) upon watching the obviously they scrapped that idea but upon watching he's raised father for sure oh (laughs) yeah i see the resemblance (laughs) uh uh no 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 i mean obviously it can't be true he's 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 an idiot because he's an idiot, not because he's covering for his awesomeness. Right.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, now let's go talk about the original trilogy.
0: Right. So, this is, of course, the one that we all grew up with. And um, going back to watch it again... Uh, For the first time since I could no longer bring myself to suffer through the grainy quality of a VHS, because that was the (laughs) only way you could watch the original, well, it wasn't the original, it was the THX Remastered, but the no-additional-footage-added version, which, you know, used to be a big purist about that. So, it's probably the first time I saw it in about ten years. Do you watch these movies uh, frequently Mike, or is it kind of an, uh, again, it's, it had
2: been a while for you. It had been quite a while. Um, I, I used to be one of those guys who was like, you know, oh man, I can't believe he added these things and blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I'll still say Han shot first. That's, uh, of course that, that, that thing is, is sort of like unforgivable, but I, I don't really find that I care as much about all the extra stuff. Do, um, do you want to hear something interesting? what's in that? the
0: blu-ray version in the blu-ray version i was like watch watch dear han's about to shoot for or, uh grito's about to shoot first and they edited it in such a way that you can't really tell who shot first i think they might have just tried to edit the grito shooting first bit out
2: yeah i think they did it on purpose to make it ambiguous because of all the fan reaction
0: well yeah that i mean that's the only reason they would do that but i Apparently that was in response to an uncomfortable moment in the first place where they were like, oh, it's not a cool-blooded killer. Uh well, you know, it is if he's a slimy alien, I guess, but whatever. Right,
2: obviously he's had dealings with this guy before, and this guy's not above, like, blowing his head off.
0: Or he's just some punk and he doesn't care. So, because he's, like, dirty hairy in space.
1: <laughs>
2: but, or uh, no, but- I, I, some of it I always found interesting. I mean, I always wanted to know more about the Jabba the Hut thing, and i didn't mind the cg there that said i mean i have seen that scene from the blu-ray edition you have even though i don't own it you know i looked at um you you know you could go to the web and you could see some of the scenes like they redid them again with a newer cg like if you look at the version i have uh jabba looks awful especially when he's upscaled to a (laughs) hd tv but um uh you know jabba doesn't look that bad on your newer
0: release you know, I'm really interested, you know, the, you, you've mentioned that a couple times. Now, I had no idea that they went back and redid the, uh, the CG from the what, what those uh, special editions came out in, like, what, 97, I yes. think? Yeah, it, so they've been redone,
2: like, three times, and they really right. do spare no expense to do that. That said, you know, the, I, I do understand the, the whole, for the sake of cinema history, they really should release remastered original cut just as you know, I like they do. They Bla- would. Yeah, you can watch a Blade Runner, the original cut, or you can watch the the new director's cut. You know, or the final cut, well, I should say, because there's like five director's cuts of Blue of Blade Runner.
0: Well, you know, maybe maybe Disney will do that if only because they know that people would buy it, but, you know, it seemed like George Lucas was really into his updates to the movie. He's like, this is the way I wanted to make the movie in the first place, but the technology wasn't there, and it, and everybody, like, screamed, put it back the way it was, and it seemed like he didn't really want to. Like, well, he thought I, he was improving what he had done.
2: I saw an interesting uh, article about, like, um, the things that he's fixed um, that nobody talks about, there's certain scenes where, like, a, a droid's eyes are are not moving correctly or, there, you know, there was continuity errors that people had pointed out in different things like that, that, uh, you know, he's used CG to fix those things or, you know, something looked like garbage even in the original cut. So, you know, they, used, they cleaned it up to make it sharper and different things like that, you know. Uh, as much sure. as people do gripe about the other things, it is nice to have some of those things fixed.
0: Well, and I'm sure many people just didn't notice him because, you know, to their they were looking for things that were out of place, and it sounds like he used his technology and his CG to fix things that were out of place so you wouldn't have seen them. Right. So, but but I don't care, you know, it's, good, it's all well and good to go back and fix your creation, although I think that George Lucas kind of invented that whole thing. You, you can, can take, take it too, too far. far. I did not like it that they put... Uh, You know, the scene in Empire Strikes Back where he talks to the Emperor via hologram for the first time, and it was a different actor, they put the, you know, they CG'd the one from Episode 3 in, and (laughs) in Return of the Jedi at the end, when you see all the ghost Jedis again, they put Hayden Christensen in there, which just made me go... What the hell? Uh, It was a tender moment for my wife, though, who had grown very attached to Anakin Skywalker by this point. Uh, But yeah,
2: yeah. I I was like, why did why did you have to do that? Why why would Luke see uh, an Anakin Skywalker that's in his prime when Yoda standing there clearly is in his prime? It's Yoda as he's remembering being remembered, you know?
0: Right, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi, not as uh, Ewan McGregor, but as Alec Guinness. So yeah, I mean, the the changes were unnecessary, but like you said, there's probably some changes that nobody noticed that made for a better viewing experience. Just out of curiosity, Mike, uh when you were a kid, what were your favorite original Star Wars movies? Like in what order?
2: Uh I probably liked Return of the Jedi the most because I liked the speeder bikes. The speeder bikes were cool. Yes, I liked that speeder bike sequence. I think I liked the Darth Vader Luke Skywalker uh duel in front of the Emperor a lot.
0: Yes, and Agreed. I didn't quite
2: understand everything that was going on uh in return of the Jedi.
0: Well, there's three separate things going on that they that they juxtaposed throughout the entire like last half of the movie.
2: yeah, it's too much going on for a little kid, yeah, so I probably liked three, one, two. I think I actually like two, three one now very good it's it's not a popular position. most people are one two or two one, three. I just think that like uh. As a contiguous movie, there's only a few things I really don't like about Return of the Jedi. But as as far as like Luke's story, I think 2-3, definitely.
0: Like you, I'm definitely Empire Strikes Back all the way as the best of the movies. It's just got the best character development. Um, even if it seems sometimes drab, like nothing's going on, there's always some very interesting lore advancement happening. And also, Lando Calrissian's a badass, and we get introduced to all the bounty hunters in that movie. We see oh, yes. what a true badass Darth Vader really is, you know, freaking
2: lording it over the whole fleet from his super Star Destroyer. And he masterfully does all that stuff on, you know, like, plans everything out on Bespin.
0: Right, he's not just... hes In the first movie, he's kind of just a thug. He's not even in charge of anything. He's like... uh old bony chin- cheekbones uh, lapdog, uh, Grand Moff Tarkin. But in the second movie, he is truly, you know, he's in charge. He's second only to the emperor, I think, at that right. point. Yeah, and and you can see it. Mm-hmm. And that, I think Baby shows a transition from, uh, this is not canonical in any way, but it kind of shows a transition from the, Uh, the bureaucracy being in control of the Empire like the last of the Republic is being, you know, is still got a hold on things too. Like, the Dark Lord of the Sith is now in charge of the show and things are truly going to go bad for the galaxy at this point.
2: That's the one problem I have with uh, Return of the Jedi is that the character of Darth Vader is built up like you can see how much in charge he is in Empire and... Then he's just kind of back to lapdog status in Return of the Jedi.
0: Well, you know, the big bad comes along and he's, you know, he's pulling the strings, basically. He does treat Vader... Talking about the Emperor, of course, he does treat Vader very much like a, a pet talking about him, like he's not even there and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, he shows him who's bossed in the end.
2: Spoiler alert. Yeah, I guess Palpatine is probably the the most consistently characterized character because every one of his Sith apprentices basically is disposable garbage to him.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I think Vader is his his prized uh, disposable garbage, certainly. But, yeah, but he's um,
2: totally willing
0: to give up Vader for Luke. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, right. That that's true. He's he's willing to uh trade up as it were, trade in for the newer model and a um, younger newer model. Right. the way he talks, he is just, you know, we see him a little bit as the old disfigured emperor in uh, episode three of the prequel trilogy, but he's just gotten so much worse in the intervening years. And, you know, he's, I mean, I understand that Jedi was shot 30 years or whatever before episode three, but he's just... Looks like he's aged in evil so much he's just gaunt, and his voice sounds like this. He talks like he is the embodiment of evil. It's just (laughs) great. It's awesome. I was thinking to myself, I was thinking to myself, the old argument does a plumber working for the Empire on the Death Star deserve to die if they blow it up? Dude, if you're working for the Empire in any way and you see these two guys walk down the aisle like they did in Jedi, the Emperor and Vader, you know you're working for an evil organization.
2: Exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> those people are those people are evil. There's no way you could, you know, slice in another way.
2: Oh so. man. It, uh, the way that I understand uh like that Senator Palpatine in the prequels um, you know, looks different from um Uh, Darth Sidious, you know, and eventually when he becomes the emperor, um, Mm -hmm. is that he's basically in at least the third movie just wearing uh, he's using force magic to project the image that he still looks young and not, you know, fucked up by the force.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Although the prequels tried to retcon a little bit and show that like Mace Window, Mace Window effed him up a little bit in their final fight, but I don't well, know. He did. I always, I always figured that he was just gross because you know the dark side makes you. You know the dark side is like math times ten.
2: But... Uh, right. Yeah. And well, and if you look at it, I mean, um, you know, Anakin isn't when when he you know. At the end of the of uh, Return of the Jedi, when you see him out of the mask, um, he's a bit screwed up from the Force too. You know, you can see, you can see where the burns are, and they did a pretty good job in Episode three matching those burns on uh, you know a heavily make up Hayden Christensen to right those burns on on uh, Vader at the end of Return of the Jedi. But you can also see like just under his eyes where the, there's giant circles and stuff, just like the Emperor that the dark side of the Force has just been eating at him. Right,
0: right, right. No, it was very, very nice touch and I thought I thought the third movie would was very thoughtfully put together, certainly. Uh it had a lot of really great moments, but I would say, um, per my most recent watching oh, and another great thing about the third movie, the Job of the Hut thing. Job of the Hutt, uh sequence at the beginning, the mini sode or whatever. Oh uh, uh, you mean
2: Return of the Jedi, not the third movie. Yeah,
0: that's the, that's what I meant. Sorry, the yes. Return of the Jedi. Yeah, some of the best Star Wars action of the whole trilogy, I think, is the Jabba the Hut thing. I don't well, know. Yeah, I really, really liked it.
2: It's like a, it's like another like adventure, and it, you know, that would have been awesome to to just have like a, uh, you know, someday a Star Wars movie where, well, and we're getting them now. Just you know, adventures in the Star Wars universe.
0: Right. Yeah. They're they're not necessarily. I mean. That was fairly incidental. I mean, the whole thing was to get Han Solo back, but they could have dispensed with that. They could have put it in the crawl. Oh, exactly. and they got Han Solo back from Jabba the Hutt. Blew him up. Lay in a bikini. Sorry we didn't show you. We just put it in the crawl. Um, <laughs> but, no, that was great stuff. Um, something I didn't love so much about Jedi uh, this time around was the Ewoks. I never minded them before. This time around, it just kind of felt you know, like an episode. It was like E.T. meets the... Gremlins meets, you know, as a creature feature.
2: Yeah, it was it was weird because like they're totally planning on like eating these people, <laughs> you know, eating the Ewoks right. are totally eating humans, and then all of a sudden, you know, C three PO who they worship uh, tells them not to, and then all oh, their friends now. And, uh, I don't know. I it, it doesn't really hold that much weight to me. <laughs> no,
0: no, and they're just it's it's. I get the criticism that it's just a ploy to get the kids involved. I mean, everybody, they're cutesy little Ewoks, and it seems like the human actors around them just kind of ham it up all cutesy, too, in response to them, especially Harrison Ford, like everything with the Ewoks involved and Harrison Ford's uh, interactions with... I don't know if he's winking at the audience or what's going on there, but it's just like, (laughs) uh, this, this all just got a little too, you know, twee for me. It is what it is. Uh, Anyway, you know, I used to like Jedi second best of the trilogy, but I have to say watching the first one, which is episode four now, uh, I always felt like it was slow. It kind of didn't have modern pacing and that kind of thing. But it really is a well-put-together movie with an excellent soundtrack and uh, a a decent uh, treatment of the characters, I think, even if it's... Even if it's just supposed to be the, you know, latest of an endless round of, uh, like, Logan's Run knockoffs or whatever.
2: Well, yeah, there's there's uh, there's not any more iconic scene in the Star Wars trilogy than, you know, longing Luke looking up at the twin suns as they set and the music, you know, that's in the back. I don't even, you know, we, you just have to think about it and it comes to your brain, you know?
0: Oh, yeah. For sure. Princess Leia with her hair in the cinnamon buns uh, is how you think of her, basically, unless you're still thinking about her at Jabba's Palace. Um, <laughs> Han Solo in his white shirt and black vest. He doesn't wear that a whole lot for the rest of the, the movies. I mean, it's just when you're thinking about these characters and their prime, Luke with his tunic, you know, this is how you think of them, you know? that's what comes to mind. This is the iconic beginning that started it all of the Star Wars phenomenon. It starts with episode 4 and I have to say and again, the soundtrack just fantastic. Um every moment feels like a familiar memory, you know, it's just I don't know. I I I thought it was really fantastic watching it uh this time around.
2: I always have to watch the Star Wars um Four, five, and six. I have to watch them as a trilogy. When I watch them, I can't really, like, stop. I don't know. It's just a natural thing, you know?
0: You typically watch... You watch four and then you put five on right away, certainly, I think.
2: Yeah, exactly. Now, this time I was going to try to do... You know, everybody talks about, you know, what order to watch the movies. I was tr- going to try to do machete order, but I'm just like, mm, yeah, I really need to I really need to finish this out after watching, you know... uh Empire Strikes Back, I really need to, you know, get that cliffhanger resolved. Certainly. Although, you know, we may not
0: have had the stamina to speed on to Return of the Jedi back in the day, but the Lord of the Rings is extended versions have trained us to watch movies for long periods of time. Oh, and Netflix, too. So now you can finally get through the six-hour and two-minute uh, trilogy with no problem. <laughs> obviously the original trilogy it's it's impossible it's not impossible we've just tried to do it but it's hard to talk about it objectively just because it's always it's always been there for us it's always um been excellent at least uh you know as a kid you think it's maybe well if you're me you think it's the greatest thing in the whole world and it's um hard to step back from that even decades later and 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 try and even put it in the same category as the other movies but
2: they are just movies so that's how we try and do it Mm-hmm. yeah at the, at the end of the day we uh we still can choose not to watch them
0: well i chose not to watch them for a long time although that was a technology thing who wants to hook up vhs up to a, a freaking hd tv seriously
2: <laughs> i'll tell you what it looks terrible All right. So, do we want to talk about the uh, Star Wars phenomena in general now? We we've had hintings of it already, but uh, Star
0: Wars is so much more than than just movies. I mean, it's uh, it's b- comic books, it's books, it's TV specials, it's uh, I don't know, it's cosplay. It's just it's a feeling in your heart. You know what
2: I mean? It's Star Wars. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, it's obviously the it's the most famous uh, thing, fictional thing ever to exist in the world. That you know, anywhere you go, you know, uh, if you had nothing in common with somebody, you could be like Star Wars, and they'd be like Star Wars. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah.
0: people who have no exposure to Star Wars whatsoever know who Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader are. I mean, it's it's just something that all you know. Almost everybody in the whole world knows who that is, basically. It, like you said, it's it's a legacy that is unmatched by anything else that's ever come before. I mean, Star Trek tries to be like that, but let's face it, it's not. Star Wars no, is... No, I mean, it, you know, there's, there's fandom and fan bases and stuff like that out there, but just Star Wars is a a cultural icon. It's like Mickey Mouse. And, well, and now you, the two of them are joined forever.
2: Haha. And if Pretty you think much. about it, I mean, uh, the reason why it's so epically well known is because it's about feelings. The Force is about feelings. Uh, you know, the light side is 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 good and um, you know, being at peace and and the dark side is, you know, rage and and anger and and hurt and everybody deals with all of these things so it you know it, it's so universal
0: right well it's it's the the classic good versus evil uh story archetype basically and and the discovery of the hero the uh the quest the arming of the hero you know the struggle versus enemies the struggle versus themselves and then finally the uh you know the resolution i mean it's just it it follows a story type that has been told for millennia and has been successful for millennia so um certainly not a knock by saying that it's not uh or an original type of a thing but you know it it does follow
2: those conventions very successfully yeah it's it's a remix it's the world's most successful remix i mean it's a uh, everything that's comes to what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um and 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 people do identify with uh, you know, how simplified it is. It's it's romanticized. It's, you know, if the world was only um so easy as good and evil and and uh, not just not the shades of gray. And you know, that's part of the reason that uh, some of the um prequel trilogy gets you know some flack is because you know lucas was adding adding some shades of gray uh there uh perhaps unsuccessfully but um he was trying well, and just
0: a a lot of extra detail as well i mean i i really believe star wars is the fact that it is so simple and it's uh uh just a universal type of a tale versus like you said the prequels they tried to introduce a whole lot of uh extra information and superfluous uh, characterizations and that kind of thing and less is less is more in many many different ways and disciplines I think that's definitely
2: true here but the uh, the other thing that people like they like the simplicity of the overall stories that are being told um, but they like the complexity of the universe and the reason is they like to think that they could put themselves in that universe you know they see all of the denizens of the cantinas and they say, look at all these possibilities, you know, I could be any one of them, you know, or in the back where you can't see me or, or you know, it's that imagination thing in this simplified universe.
0: It's true. And it's not, uh, it's not so exotic uh that you can't imagine yourself in those pla- uh, you know these places these situations i mean these are i mean yes it takes place a long time ago in a galaxy far far away but it it has some very uh familiar themes you know it's just like these people are just living their lives you know in a you know backwater planet somewhere, which, you know, people from Wisconsin can kind of get behind, you know, it's (laughs) uh, far from the bright center of the universe type of a, type of a thing. I mean, these are just ordinary people and, you know, when faced with an extraordinary circumstance such as, you know, evil empire or whatever, they, they have a very human reaction and that's to fight back. And I guess everybody would like to think that they would, they would be willing to do that, willing and able to do that if the need arose, but... Certainly. I mean it's uh it's an easy, dramatic situation to place yourself in.
2: Basically, in the Star Wars universe, if um if you're if you're picking the side of the empire, you're probably not a good person. It's it's very easy choice. Um it's and, and this You're an evil
0: plumber. Or, or an basically. evil plumber. Yeah, a chaotic so evil this, this, plumber.
2: This is escapism from having to uh make those hard choices like you know in those gray areas, it's it's very clear which path that you should take,
0: right? Although, let's face it, uh, Darth Vader and the Sith are fairly awesome. I mean, this is some rated PG evil happening in these movies. So you know they're 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 they're, they're, they're bad certainly, but you know certainly nothing terribly atrocious is happening on screen,
2: right? You're you're not gonna see. Uh, a Star Wars SVU, <laughs> no,
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> certainly not, no. But uh, um, you 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 may read about it in one of the expanded universe books. No, probably not that sort of a thing. But well, I certainly...
2: mean, there is a, hor- a horror there is a horror book. I remember that being a big deal, a uh, stormtrooper horror story or something like that, where stormtroopers were being attacked. It was like aliens, but with stormtroopers huh i don't think i read that one yeah well they started doing some weird things at the end there uh before lucas sold it to disney so
0: sure well and there were certainly you know uh, there were atrocities in the book certainly uh atrocities things that you can't show on you know the screen but you can read about in young adult fiction i guess
2: well i mean there were atrocities in episode seven
0: well, I mean, for crying out loud, they blew up a uh, densely populated planet in Episode 4 and in Episode 7, so... Well, there's uh, that,
2: but, I mean, the Empire, like, just slaughtering village people at the beginning... Or, sorry, the New Order at the beginning of uh, Episode 7. It's, yeah, it feels more personal than, you know, blowing up a planet from
0: space, certainly.
2: <laughs> That's true. Uh, anyway, yeah. um, yeah, and then, of course... Uh, you know, with, uh, you know, video games, role-playing games, um, novels and things like that. It really is, uh, easy for people to pick their preferred method of escapism in the Star Wars, uh, universe and, and go, you know, and don't feel bad about
0: things becoming decanonized. Um, there's all sorts of, uh, television series, the Clone Wars being a big one. Uh, Star Wars Rebels being another one. I mean, these this is I haven't seen Rebels, but the Clone Wars, I have to say I'm impressed with the quality of the uh the production and the storytelling and it's it's really pretty It's decently compelling stuff. This would be the CG version that's still canon. They are planning something like twenty new novels this year alone, which I'm not going to, you know, bother. I I did my time with the Star Wars novels in the '90s. Thank you very much. (laughs) I don't need to do it again. Maybe if I was a younger man. But you know, there's Disney. I think somebody said it in our last episode. Disney is going to make sure that we never. Lack for Star Wars material ever again. They're going to be giving us something pretty much constantly, I think. So uh, the legacy lives on, whether or not you love that new legacy or you are one of the staunch Star Wars conservatives that will never love anything that happened after 1983. um, (laughs) You know, there's more coming, certainly. The story is not over.
2: Yeah, it makes me want to... To go get out those uh, old uh, West End games, Star Wars role playing books, and have a campaign.
0: Yeah, I might read the Thrawn trilogy again. Who knows? What do you think, Mike? Is is Star Wars sacred? Oh, do you mean uh, bovinus sanctorum? Uh, I do mean bovinus sanctorum. Or, <laughs> you know what? Let's not even go beyond that. Do you think Star Wars is sacred? <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah, I think this is almost just a, a formality at this point. It is a complete uh, and total formality, utter yes, formality. <laughs> definitely, Star Wars is sacred uh, as a phenomenon, as a as a trilogy, and and yes, I will even say I think uh, the prequels serve their purpose, even if it is just so other directors or, or Star Wars producers can say, yeah. You know, There were some good ideas there, bad execution. Let's use this as a cautionary tale, (laughs) you know. (laughs) They're still worth watching right? Uh, uh, just for that. So I I think overall, you know, and we've got like the 501st um, Stormtrooper Division, which is that real-life people that make their own Stormtrooper or Empire armor, and then they use uh, it to, like, uh, do charitable things you know, sure. Uh, star Wars as a whole is, is pretty sacred.
0: Damn right. Yeah. And I, I would have felt dirty if I'd finished the whole, or do you think it should be put out to pasture line of rhetoric (laughs) that that's shut up? Star Wars, (laughs) star Wars is sacred. And, and by is sacred, I mean that star Wars kind of wrote the book on sacred. I mean, when you think of a sacred movie, you might not be thinking of Star Wars, but when you think of Star Wars, you're thinking sacred. This movie fits the definition so well. It's not even a movie anymore. It's a legacy. It goes so far beyond the screen. It is unlike anything that has ever been seen that has come out of, of Hollywood ever or ever will, I'm sure. It, it's just it's it's been uh obsession for so many people. It's permeated the lives of so many people, myself included, for a very, very long time. Um, and it seems to be reawakening. Something is reawakening in me. It is that love for Star Wars, um, thanks to Episode 7. So, of course, the damn thing's sacred.
2: Duh. Okay, well, I think we are unanimous on this.
0: No kidding. So, it's a, it's a bovinus sanctorum and don't insult me by saying otherwise. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. All right.
0: It. So one more thing, George Lucas has said in the past that he had a nine-part story written for Star Wars and the first six of those were made into movies. Mm-hmm. Uh we don't know how much of the other of ideas from the other three parts have been seen or ever will be seen, but we have to presume that Disney probably bought those ideas. What do you what do you think? Are they you think they're going out of the playbook at all, or um, well, I know they, they I know they well, said they
2: didn't I know they said they didn't like his treatment, but that doesn't mean they didn't take his ideas and use some of them.
0: I just wonder. I wonder uh, if the the final three acts of the story will be lost forever, uh, which seems like a bit of a travesty, considering you know it's George Lucas. I mean, he still created the whole thing, but.
2: Well, I don't know. I mean, I know there's a a comic that came out since Disney bought that. That was not canon, but it takes. um, I think it's Disney. I think maybe Marvel did it, but some somebody did it. It was the original original script that George Lucas had for Star Wars, like when it it was when the character was still uh, Luke Starkiller. Luke Starkiller, sure. I don't remember what it's called. Um if I if I remember maybe I'll uh look it up and put it in the show notes to, but yeah it it was very different characterizations and things before, you know, he went back to the drawing board uh, after being turned down sometimes, you know. Huh.
0: Well, that's interesting. Uh yeah, if it is Marvel, Disney owned Marvel, uh be interesting to see that even they are coming out with some uh, legends things that aren't part of their canon.
2: Well, and I think these things have a way of leaking out into the world. I mean, I'm sure uh, Disney probably owns them. Maybe there's some sort of clause that when George Lucas dies that they come out or uh, that he put in or maybe he wants them to be released later, you know, just for kicks or whatever. (laughs) You know, who knows?
0: Who knows what the stipulations of a $4 billion deal may uh,
2: entail, huh? There's probably a stipulation of rolling around in money. But uh, yeah, or in his grave. (laughs) One of those two things, probably both, actually.
0: Uh, So, well, well, it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. And it will, I think, continuously be unfolding from now until in basically
2: eternity. Or if it's, uh, you know, beaten into the ground, one of the two. Yeah, one
0: of those two things. Uh, Well, here's hoping. So far, I like what I see with what's happening with Star Wars now. I'll be honest. I think they're going in the right direction.
2: I hope they take the care to keep making it something magical. Anything less would
0: be a travesty. We'll we'll just see how everything turns out. Obviously, uh, the public has a a finite appetite for things, and... uh, Properties have a way of going away and coming back. So um, we, we seem to be living in a Star Wars golden age right now. Who knows what the future will bring.
2: And that concludes our episode on the rest of the Star Wars saga. That would pretty well, Pete. I think so. I just, you know, I could
0: talk about Star Wars ad nauseum, which I think actually we may have achieved here today. <laughs>
2: Yeah, this is probably a more meandering episode than uh, a lot of our other ones, but uh, we might have said a few things that'll make people talk or hate us. Yeah.
0: By the (laughs) fans for the fans of Star Wars, that is.
2: Certainly some controversial uh, things by not completely bashing the prequels, I think, so we'll see how that goes. No,
0: but but I would invite everybody who is dead set on the idea that the prequels suck to go back and watch them if you haven't in a while. You might be surprised.
2: With that, uh, we want to remind you that in two weeks on February 10th, uh, we have our episode on Hook, the Steven Spielberg-directed Robin Williams, Dustin Hoffman, Julia Roberts vehicle. That'll be fun. A blast from the past, a 25-year-old blast from the past. And it's currently still on Netflix and Amazon Prime, so... uh, Go get it while the kitten's good. I don't know if it'll still be there in February, uh, hopefully. We would love it if you uh, follow us on Twitter. Uh, we're on Twitter at SacredCowsPod. And also, uh, we'd love to hear from you on an email, Cows at com. That's Cows at HeroOfTheWeb.com. Uh, we're always looking for those comments, and eventually here we'll be doing a feedback episode where we'll talk about you know maybe some questions that you give us or... Uh, comments or just movie suggestions you know we're always looking for those and uh, also uh, you can uh, and should uh, give us a review on iTunes we really love those five-star reviews it helps other people find us and now that uh, uh, we're growing quite a bit thanks to our Force Awakens roundtable and probably the episode that you're listening to just now we want to keep it going and we just want to keep spreading the word about uh, about the Sacred Cows podcast so um, just give us those five star reviews. Yeah, tell us how you feel. Uh, we will read those on our uh, re- feedback episodes when we have them. And yeah, we just want to know what you think. Please,
0: please do give us your reviews uh, and any feedback that you may have, because it brings a lot of joy to our hearts to uh, read read your words and to read them out loud, actually, for everybody else. So, so. It- Please and thank you. It's it's great to hear
2: from you all. And with that, um, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Whitemorph, and Pete has a different way to get a hold of him every week.
0: Yeah, um, I was going to say something about the galactic holonet and all that, but uh, let's face it. I, I don't think you can type, what, Arabesh alphabets into your computers, so it wouldn't work. Hmm.
2: No dice.
0: Okay. No dice, folks. Just just uh, go
2: through the standard channels. All right. And uh, with that, again, uh, do not forget uh, Hook in two weeks, and we will see you then. May, May the Force, Force be with you. you.